Hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Wonderful. Hey, uh, fantastic stuff um, about giving to Turkey. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the middle of, did, did you know that, that one of the fastest growing churches in the world, the fastest, one of the, the nations that the church is growing fastest is in Turkey. It's crazy, right? And I can tell you, uh, man, one of the things I love about Foursquare Disaster Relief the most is that oftentimes missions giving agencies will send you know, money over to a nation and say, hey, look what we did for you. Foursquare Disaster Relief does just the opposite. They send it and give it to the church so that the church over there can give it to the people. So in other words, the, the, the church there in Turkey is the one serving and helping the people because they know who needs it the most and how to get it to them the best. I love that. So if you can... Either go on, uh, you can click the QR code, we'll put it up at the end of the service, or you can just go to our Church Center app and then go down to the drop-down menu that says Foursquare Disaster Relief. Man, it'd be fantastic to do that and get an opportunity to uh, really help those guys out because 30,000 people. I came to church this morning thinking 5,000 was an enormous number because that's the number I thought it was, and then hearing that today, that's like knee-buckling. I'm sure that's not the end of it, but Jesus be with them. Amen. Hey, listen, we are in week two of our series uh, called Arise, our theme launch series, where we've been talking about what it means to rise up or stand up or begin to take personal responsibility for your own journey, your own walk. And if there's one thing I think we need in our world today is an opportunity for us to take personal responsibility for our own journey. I feel like this last two, two and a half years, we've spent so much time blaming everyone else for all of the troubles and things that have gone on. Well, if it wasn't for that person or those people or that political party or this, whatever, we wouldn't have this problem. And I'm just saying to you, like, we, we're, sometimes I feel like we're fighting the wrong enemy and we start fighting each other. And at some point when we finally realize, God, I need to take personal responsibility for my own spiritual journey and stop blaming my lack of it on someone else. Somebody say Amen. Amen, amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, open it up to the book of Acts, chapter 9. I'm going to jump around to a handful of scriptures today, and hopefully I don't go too crazy on you, but I'll do my best to try to give you context. We started our theme launch, Arise, talking about the Apostle Paul, who he is, who he was, why he did what he did. But this, uh, beginning of this series, I want to go back to the beginning of when we meet Paul, or Saul, as we know him back then. By the way, his name, Saul or Paul, gets interchangeable throughout the Bible. Remember uh, when Jesus bumped into Peter, he said, your name is Cephas, but now you'll be called Peter, right? And so Paul's name wasn't necessarily that way. His name was actually Saul. He was named after King Saul, which was a couple of generations before him, King Saul. Uh, however, when he got saved, and we'll talk about that moment when he got saved, when Paul got saved... The name Saul was very Hebrew, and Jewish people didn't like that. So he went with the Greek rendition of his name, which was Paul, not Saul. So he went with Paul more often, and that's what we hear of most of. But oftentimes, you even see different times when Jesus spoke to him, and he calls him Saul, or he'll bump into an angel that'll say, call him Saul, or whatever. But you'll, you'll see the name interchangeable. So it's not as cut and dry as the Peter name. It was more like, hey, look, Saul means Paul, same idea. I only tell you that because I want to get you to understand who Saul is, who Paul is. Acts chapter 9, 46, 
kind of begins the, the, the journey of his life in our series by, by this. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, it says, He fell on the ground, talking about Paul, he fell on the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is this, sir or Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up or arise. Go into the city and you'll be told what to do. I love this. This is where we get our theme. The word arise comes from the Hebrew word ahistemi, which means to stand up in the presence of others, to literally cause to be born or to head in a new direction or head elsewhere. It's interesting. The first time we bump into Saul, that by the way, if you get a chance over this next week to spend a little bit of time reading, in fact, if you have the Bible app on your phone, Get to Acts chapter 1 and just hit play and get through Acts chapter 9. Sit in your car, whatever you're going to do, just let it read to you or sit down and read it if that's not a problem for you. Just read the first nine or ten chapters, really nine chapters. You kind of get a context for the starting point of Saul or Paul and, and, and begin to understand where I get this arise idea from. Literally, God tells him to get up. Get up off the ground where he had been knocked to the ground on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. So before Paul was a believer, he was a Jewish religious zealot. I mean, he was part of the Sanhedrin, part of the ruling council. Man, he wanted nothing to do with this new faction of believers called the way or the followers of Jesus. He wanted to do away with them. Because in his Jewish mindset, they were just heretical and bad, and they, they, were, they were bad. Now, by the way, in that particular time frame, there were a lot of different factions that were coming to the surface back then. The difference between Jesus and all of the other different, quote-unquote, Messiah people that showed up, just, just so you know, the difference between Jesus and all the other religious functions that happened, the difference between them and Jesus was Jesus actually rose from the dead, all the rest of them, they're all dead. Hey, I'm the Messiah. They didn't rise from the dead. Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah. Jesus rose from the dead. Here, here's a hint. Go after the one that rose from the dead. Amen. That's what you want to do, right? So that all happened. I mean, that, you'd think like that would be like all the lights would come on and people would be like, well, we were dummies. Why would we follow that joker? We should go with this joker, this guy, because he like rose from the dead. Let me tell you this. When you bump into Jesus, you don't need to go anywhere else. Hmm. Here we go. We bump into to Paul or Saul when we first see him in Acts chapter 8 as a witness to the stoning of the very first Christian martyr named Stephen. In fact, in 8, chapter one, chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, Saul was one of the first official witnesses of Stephen. Down over in chapter 8, verse 1, the second half of it says, listen to this. After Stephen was, was killed or thrown rocks at to be to death, it says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles fled to Judea and Samaria. Pause. Judea and Samaria. Let that sink in. When you're reading in Acts chapter 1, this is speaking Acts chapter 8, but in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to all of the disciples, now remember, this is post-Easter, this is Jesus raised, already risen from the dead, Jesus shows up and says, hey, 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 guys, remember I died on the cross and I rose from the dead? Listen up! Jesus says to all of them in Acts chapter 1, stay here, 
Hang out here in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, which happens in Acts chapter 2. But stay here in Jerusalem. When you receive the Holy Spirit, he says this, go to Judea and Samaria. Here in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says the disciples ended up fleeing to Judea and Samaria. Did you get that? Jesus told them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hang out there. Once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, go to Judea and Samaria. Quote, that means get out of Dodge. Go out there. Go give it away. Here's what they did. Not that. They just stayed there. They were like, Holy Spirit's so good. I can speak in tongues. I'm going to stay right here. This is good. You should go to Judea and Samaria. Nope, I'm going to stay right here. This is so much better right here. If you should go to Judea and Samaria. Nope, I'm going to stay right here. And then persecution happens, and the Bible says they went to Judea and Samaria. (laughs) Let me tell you this. God's going to get his way, either willingly or unwillingly. Can I tell you this? Some of you have been, like, unwilling in your walk with Jesus. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I'm not going to get rid of that thing. I'm not going to give up on that deal. I'm not going to quit that drinking problem. I'm not going to stop that pornography issue. You're just hanging on. And I'm just telling you, hey, you'll stop or you'll stop. Because God's going to get to the bottom of you. Why? Because he loves you. He's not interested in embarrassing you and exposing you. God wants to help you. The whole purpose of getting to Judea and Samaria, do you know what the whole purpose was? It wasn't that he loved Judea and Samaria more than Israel or more than Jerusalem. He just was trying to say, get out of here and go to the rest of the planet. Judea and Samaria were like one of the first on the route. He's like, just go. And we're all just like, nope, I'm good, I'll stay. I'll just stay right here in my bitterness. I'll just stay right here in my pain. I'll just stay right here in my, you know, you fill in the blank. I'm just here to tell you this right now. Jesus will get his way. Remember the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Translation, God will get his way. We either join him or we fight him. Listen to Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says, Saul was going everywhere to devastate the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women and throw them into jail. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Meanwhile, <coughs> excuse me, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requests letters uh, addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, Jewish church, asking them for cooperation to arrest all the followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. I just draw your attention to a couple of uh, words that leap off the page to me of these two, cha- these two chapters. Words like going everywhere, threats with every breath, eager to destroy. I mean, that's Paul. That's pre-Jesus Paul. Threats everywhere, threats in every breath, eager to destroy, dragging out of house men and women. Listen, Paul was about wanting to stop this craziness. Because in his mind's eye, he was righteous. Paul couldn't see the truth because he was so consumed with his own understanding. Hmm, let's go on. Paul wanted to get permission from the high priest to go to Damascus, which was a neighboring city. 
Paul wanted to go to the neighboring city to, and he wanted to get permission to go and terrorize more Christians. This is so funny. He's like, why did he need permission? He was doing a pretty good job without permission. Like, what did he need a permission slip for? He already had, he already was, you know, really driving some people nuts and literally saw Stephen killed probably because he was persecuting them, him. Like, why did he go to the high priest and say, hey, now I need permission? I, I, let me tell you what, I have, an, I have a, a thought about his reason for needing to get permission slip. It's either one of two reasons. One, he was, um, he wanted to be, didn't want to be complicit in how the Christians were being treated in Damascus. In other words, he didn't want to get, didn't want it to be his fault. Maybe that's the reason he got permission. Because then he could say, well, you know, they told me I could. Or maybe he got permission because he didn't want anyone stopping him. I think it's the second one. I think it's the latter. I think literally Paul was like, I'm going. And whether you give me permission or not, I just don't want anyone getting in my way. In other words, Paul was like, I am so eager to fight these crazy, zealous Christians who, who are now following this, this person who rose from the dead, this person who I keep seeing these healings happen and all of these things go on. Paul's like, I'm done with this. You gotta know, I'm, I'm, I'm leading a team to Israel here in a few weeks and when, when we go over there, we're gonna bump into folks who are Jewish and man, it, it's, it's a different level than it is that we bump into in America. I'm not, I've not bumped into many Jews in America, but... In Israel, it's like um, when it's, the, I was on a phone with uh, the, our tour planner person and, and I said, um, hey, I'm talking to him about the seats or something on the deal. And it was like five minutes to five on Friday night, five minutes to five. And I was like, hey, I want you to know whatever it was. And he's like, hurry up, Lance. I only got three more minutes. And I was like, till what? And he's like, until the Sabbath starts. I got to get off the phone because that's working. I can't be working on the Sabbath. And I was like, you need to settle down. Click. I was like, five o'clock, it's over with. He's on the Sabbath, 24 hours of no worky. And I was like, how can I get a text message tonight? Right? No joke, didn't get anything until 24 hours later. And he's like, hey, check it in, Lance, how are you? <laughs> right? I'm t- the whole world is like that. It's like you do your best to follow the rules, right? There's no kinda in this thing. There's, there's, there's law and then there's tradition. And sometimes those two get blurry there. But I will tell you in a lot of ways, some of it, when, some of it I'm a little put to shame in my own Christian walk because I'm like, the, the seriousness with which some of those people take, even some of, the, some of that is a little wacky to me. But, but man, they're committed. So part of me is like, I want to be committed to my walk with Jesus and running from sin. And, and again, I'm not so sure that they're doing all the right stuff, but it, it is what it is. Paul not only got permission from the high priest to go to Damascus to mess with the lives of believers, but listen to this. Paul also jumped over the top of his disciple, of his discipler, if you will, his, uh, his leader, Gamaliel. We talked about Gamaliel last week. Gamaliel was this super wise man in Israel at the time. He was part of the Sanhedrin himself. All I could say is uh, Gamaliel was like, uh, we got a mixed aged crowd here. Gamaliel was like um, Mr. Miyagi, Yoda, Gandalf, Jiminy Cricket, Mr. Brady. I can't think anymore. You know, the, the, whiz, the wise guy, everybody's like, I don't know, let's ask Mr. Brady. I don't know, let's go talk to Yoda. Yay. That was a lot of work. Somebody at least should say that was great. I'm telling you, the, all the big wise guys, right? Gandalf, you know, ZZ Top Beard, the whole deal, right? So like all of that, like this was literally, 
Paul was raised up under Gamaliel, the super smart, wise guy in Israel. Listen, Gamaliel was no joke. The Sanhedrin, when he spoke, I can only imagine everyone's like, we should, we should destroy them, we should do this, we, should, we just killed Jesus, we should kill them, we should do all the things going on and on, and you could just hear the pin drop, and then Gamaliel goes, I have an idea. I, I'd never really seen this verse before, but it's in Acts chapter 5. Listen to what it says in verse 38. It says this, and this is my advice. My advice is this. I can only imagine the room just gets super quiet because when Yoda speaks... When Mr. Miyagi says, wax on, wax off. When Jiminy Cricket says, I'm here. If you're under 35, you don't know who that is. Jiminy Cricket, come on now. Mr. Brady, some of you are like, who is that? Let me tell you this, right? You, come on. <laughs> Gamaliel steps up to speak and he says, so this is my advice. Leave these men alone. Talking about the Christians. If they're teaching and doing things that are merely on their own, then it will be overthrown. However, if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Come on. Gamaliel literally was like, hey, 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 hey. This is different. There's a lot of factions going on. A lot of crazy people rising up being them. I'm the Messiah. No, I'm the Messiah. No, I'm the Messiah. Jesus is the only one that rose from the dead. And if we start monkeying with that, that we might even be fighting against God. Translation, Paul, settle down. Let God deal with it. So here's what Paul did. After he hears his, his own wise teacher Here's what Paul said. Paul's like, thanks for the insight, but I'm going to do my own thing. Aren't you glad you're not like Paul? Aren't you glad you get the wisdom from heaven? And you're like, you know what? You're right. I'm stopping right here. So many of us get like this download, this Jesus moment, this, oh, from heaven. And we're just like, you know what, God? You know what? You're right. I'm just going to stop right here. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to move around. Most of you kidding me. Most of us are, we just double down on our crazy. That's what Paul did. Paul just doubled down and he's like, you know what? Thanks, Gamaliel. Thanks, Jiminy Cricket. Thanks, Mr. Brady. I got this. Thanks, Mr. Miyagi. I'm taking off on my own. Has ever happened to you when you hear the Lord just tell you to stop it and you just double down on your rightness? I didn't hear anybody respond. <laughs> you hear the Lord gentle whisper to say, hey, let it go. And you say, nope, I got this. You hear the Lord say, trust me. You're like, nope, I'm going to trust me. You hear the Lord say, uh, you hear Pastor Steve up here saying, hey, we should trust God with our finances and like build our trust muscles. And you hear the Lord go, he's right. You should listen to that. And inside you're like, no way. <laughs> Not going to happen. We can't afford it. He's like, no, no, you understand. You can trust God. And watch this. We just, we just double down on our own rightness. Let me tell you this. It never works. I've tried. I've tried all of that. It never seems to work for me. Listen to Mr. Miyagi. Sorry, that's not in the Bible. I'll tell you this. My, uh, a month ago, about six weeks ago, in fact, my mom passed away. Many of you know that. Uh, there's something about terminal cancer that is terrible, to say the least, 
Uh, but but it's, it affords a weird opportunity that I never knew of before. Terminal cancer, my mom pancreatic cancer, we were told she had a really short time to live. And so when you're confronted with that, my mom and I, we didn't have a great relationship growing up. We, we were at odds so many times. And it, I, I, there's way more than I could possibly tell in a sermon. But suffice it to say, we didn't have a great relationship. So I'm older. I know that there's terminal cancer on the horizon. And now, now I've got to deal with something. And I, I hear the Lord say, hey, look, Lance, you know you got something with your mom you got to deal with, right? He's, I hear the whisper of the Lord just go, hey, are you going to trust me with it this time? My answer to Jesus was this. No, God, I'm good. I'm fine, thanks. And he's like, you know your voice went up three octaves there, Lance, right? When your voice goes up a couple octaves, you know you're wrong. Just for the record. When you're talking to somebody, they're like, no, I'm good. That's a good sign that they're wrong. <laughs> I'm good. No, they're not. That's counseling 101 right there. How you doing? Just fine. No, you're not. <laughs> so I'm in that moment, right? And the Lord's like, hey, look, you don't sound so great. And I'm like, no, I'm good, really. I'll just... I'll just forgive her and move along. We'll just let bygones be bygones. And he goes, that sounds really good, Lance, but you know that's not true. And I was like, okay, Jesus, I'll make you a deal. I'll go to see my mom. We'll talk about stuff, but only if the dogs are gone, the TV's off, my sister's out of the house, and it's just my mom and I. If I'll go there, right? So I go to the house. My, mom, my mom's there. My sister, her dogs are going crazy. The TV's loud. My sister's in the middle of the kitchen. And I'm like, see there. I don't have to do it. Two seconds later, my sister's like, hey, I think I'm going to go to the store and I'll take the dogs. And I'm like, <laughs> looked at her and I was like, you're a jerk. And she's like, what I do? And I was like, you're just a jerk. It's just, it's just between me and Jesus. I think you're dumb. And, and I was like, come on. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's just me, Jesus, some chicken on the table, and my mom, right, at the table. And I was like, Whew. so I had to deal. Reached across the table, grabbed her hand. We haven't held hands in a year. I can't even tell you when we held hands last. Held her hand and we had a talk. I hate that. It was hard. It was great. It was wonderful. It was terrible. It was hard. It was amazing. All that. We can fight against God all we want to, but God's going to get his way. Now listen, I'm not fooling anyone to tell you that I'm all done, it's all tied up in a nice bow, and I'm all good. I can tell you that morning was the beginning of God still working in me. I still got some things to forgive. I still got some things to get past. I still got some places God wants to heal. My grief is just beginning the journey. Come on. I'm not kidding anyone to think that when I did it, yeah, you should too. I'm like, no, no, I'm just saying to you, like, let God in and let him lead you down that path of healing because your own way ain't going to work. Thus saith the lance. I've tried a few times. It's interesting, while saying, Jesus, I don't want to do this. But I just heard the thing about Jesus that's so great is that he doesn't always tell you all the steps. He doesn't say, hey, look, by the way, Lance, when you go to your mom's, you're going to have to this, that, and the other thing. When you go to this, you're going to have to do this and the other. You know, all Jesus told me was this. He said, just go and be willing. I was like, ah, what do you mean willing? I don't know what that means. Does that mean I got to say stuff or ask stuff or do stuff? He's like, all I want you to do is be willing. I'll give you the stuff. It's so weird, right? God doesn't necessarily need you to, to, to come up with the paragraph or come up with all the words or even feel forgiven or feel like you forgive. He just simply says, are you willing? I think therein lies the crux of the healing beginning is just your willingness. 
I think so many of us in this room or watching us online, our biggest problem is our willingness to move in the direction God wants us to move. Because more often than not, we're like, no, it's too hard. There's just too much. Can I just tell you this? You're right. It is too hard and it is too much. But the real question is, is your willingness is the easy part. It's just saying, God, I, I, I don't want to, but I'm willing. I feel like that's all Jesus wants is us to be willing. And then he'll say, okay, come on now. I got you from here. Now let's go. And then I didn't know after that like, the things that were going to happen would happen. And God began to do that. And every season of my life that I've come to willingness, and if I, if I step over the willingness line, he just meets me there. He does the same for you. He doesn't have to have to give you all the right steps. He just wants you to take one called willingness. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I'd never seen this particular part of Acts before. But before Paul got to willingness, Paul was confronted three different times by moments that he had opportunity to actually soften his heart. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 3, so remember, between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 9, those are the ones I want you to look at this week. But Paul... Here's of a group of Christians. It's Peter and the apostles. That's all we're told here. Peter and the apostles. The Bible says, Acts chapter 3, they start preaching. Now, keep in mind, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. People are filled with tongues, fire and flame on their heads, all that stuff, right, going on. All we know is something happened in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. A whole bunch of humans show up, right? So they're all in Jerusalem, all at the temple area. All these people are like, what do we do now? And so Paul's Peter right here with the apostles just start preaching. Well, the Jewish guys get mad and they have them arrested. They're like, hey, we're going to arrest you guys in Acts chapter 3. You can read it yourself. They arrest Peter and the apostles. Throw them into jail and get this, while they're in prison for preaching. I mean, they're not beating people up. They're not starting riots. They're just preaching. Next thing, and people are getting healed. The Bible says people were physically getting healed right there, and they got arrested for doing that. In Acts chapter 3, the Bible says they threw them into jail, and by the end of Acts chapter 3, an angel shows up, opens the door of the jail, and brings them out. And so the next morning, all you read in Acts is, is they were preaching again at the temple. And I'm like, didn't anyone like say, like, how'd you get here? <laughs> what happened? They're like, miraculously, they're just continuing to preach, and thousands more were added. Paul saw all of that. The very next thing we bump into is Acts chapter 5, where Paul, or Saul, bumps into Gamaliel saying, hey, if you, bump, if you push against this, you might be fighting against God. The very next couple chapters is Acts chapter 7, when literally Saul is standing there holding the coats of everyone chucking rocks at Stephen, the first martyr. Three different times, it's as if Paul or Saul gets this invitation, Paul, would you soften up? Paul, would you settle down? Paul, take a look at what I'm doing. And each time, he just doubled down in his hardness. Each time, each picture of God showing up in his world, he just seemed to double down on his hardness. It's amazing how that happens, isn't it? You would think at some point he would have been like, wow, all this stuff is adding up. And man, whatever it is that God's doing, I want to be a part of. Instead, he's like, nope, my rightness is the most important thing. Hmm. What kept Saul from saying yes to Jesus? What was it that kept him from softening? 
What, what was the thing that made him just shut the door on the whisper of the Holy Spirit in looking at the apostles in Peter preaching and listening to Gamaliel say, don't fight against God and watching Stephen literally be, be killed, murdered right there. What is it that caused his heart to get harder? I have an idea. I'll call it self-righteousness. In fact, I'll make it easier for you. I think the thing that kept him from softening was self-righteousness, or I'll put it this way, self-rightness. I think self-rightness or self-righteousness kept Paul hardened in his heart. Self-rightness, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm self-rightness, self-rightness where? Probably in his marriage, probably with his kids. If we don't know anything about the marriage or kids, but being part of the Sanhedrin, he may have had that. Self-rightness in his workplace for sure. Aren't you glad that doesn't work for you? Self-rightness, right? No, what happens when self-rightness shows up in your marriage, shows up with your kids, shows up at your workplace? Self-rightness, it's awful. Self-rightness always makes you lose something, by the way. Did you know that? Self-rightness always steals from you. Self-rightness always promises of you being right and you being applauded and you being told you're the best, but it always steals from you. Self-rightness in your marriage, literally, when you're unwilling to give. Self-rightness causes you to lose your children because you're unwilling to listen to their hearts. Self-rightness, listen to this, will always eventually make you blind. And it's amazing in Acts chapter 9, after Saul fell to the ground, the Bible says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 9, Saul picked himself up off the ground and he found that he was blind. Remember this. When your heart is in the wrong place, right things become increasingly blurry. When your heart is in the wrong place, right things become increasingly hard to see. I, I think it's, it's a, uh, at face value, we see Paul blinded, right? So he falls to the ground, he hears a voice. The fellows who were with him didn't hear, the, they only heard a noise. They didn't, he couldn't make out the words. And we know that Paul has this engagement with Jesus, the risen Jesus, no less, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the Bible says when he rose up, he was blind. Now we can read that at face value and think like, wow, the light must have been bright and the, right, the bright light blinded him. Or we can look at it figuratively as well and say, don't miss the illustration here. The illustration here is this. Your self-rightness will blind you. Your self-rightness will blind you in your marriage. You'll be so... Your self-rightness will... Divide a nation. How about the United States of? Our, wait. <laughs> Our self-rightness has caused relationships that were long lifetime relationships to be severed over the last two and a half years. Our, come on now. I don't care what color you voted, red or blue, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Because the issue is we are both self-right. Yeah, but you don't understand, we're righter. No, but we're righter. No, but we're righter. We're more right. We're more righter, right, right, right. Listen, they're both not all right. Jesus is right. 
we've done everything we could to say, I'm going to watch that whatever channel, I'm going to stick on that channel, get that tattoo right there, and this is going to be us because that's going to be from us. Stop it. We have, we have severed families because of this. When do we return to Jesus and let him be the right one? Instead of the political, whatever party we're hanging out with and say, like, that's what, trust me, you could justify it all. I've heard both sides, passionately both sides. But yeah, I still look in the camera and I'm saying, there are people who used to go to church and here won't because of a certain thing. And I'm enough. We're going to get to Jesus. The self rightness will cause us blindness. No. Wonder. I should get back to my notes. <laughs> I'm get myself in trouble. But I'll tell you this. Guys, maybe that's the reason why our nation... Can I tell you what? If I was the devil, I would do that. I would get, I would get us so fighting against each other, looking at each other's navels and whatever it was we were hung up on, that we would miss Jesus. We would get so sprung on different things and... We all send the memes and the videos and the things and it's all funny and it's hilarious and your things you're sending out to your people will never make it to those people and those people will never make it to your people and you're both laughing because they're both, they're both so dumb. Come on. Come on. I do it too. We're all like that, right? I just want to say at some point, when are we stopping so self-right and say, Jesus, I just want you. The Bible says my righteousness, Paul was talking and he says my righteousness is like filthy rags. Translation, my goodness is never going to be good enough. When do we love our neighbor because they're our neighbor? Not because we have the same news channel. Hmm. Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry. Paul, Paul recounts this story several times over again. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. Let's go back to the end of Acts chapter 26. This is nearing the end of Paul's life. Paul has been imprisoned three different times. This is the third or fourth imprisonment, I believe. You understand, when Paul was imprisoned, it wasn't because he was, uh, you know, beating people up or whatever. Like, listen, he was in prison one time because there was a woman who was... Uh, she was hired, she was a slave of a guy who hired her because she was demon-possessed and she would give fortune-telling advice to people. Paul comes up to her and says, look, you don't need to be trapped by the demon anymore. Be freed. Sets her free from a demon. She gets to know Christ. She's free from the demon and now she can't, she can't give uh, fortune-telling anymore. And so the guy tells the, whoever it was and they put Paul in jail for that. Right? And Paul's like, wow, set this girl free and I'm in jail, right? I mean, that's why he was in jail. Another time, there's a couple of other things that were just like that. He did a righteous thing, he gets thrown into prison, right? Well, this last time, Paul gets thrown into prison. It's terrible. Paul's thrown into prison. It was called the, the Mamertine prison. It was the one he died in, or literally, it's the one right before he died. Uh, the prison was uh, about the size of this center section of chairs, right? It was just a big circle. It was, at the, it was in, in Rome. It was at the, 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 the lowest part of the city. And, and I'll tell you, this is kind of crazy. Is there, there was a, a big grate, if you will, up on top above his head. That was the only window. And there were people, the worst of the worst criminals were there. They were sentenced to death. You know what, what would be shoved down that grate? Was all the sewage of the city. Where Paul the apostle would sit down there cold, wet 
minutes before he was dying and write 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Ephesians, Philippians to you, me. And say things like, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Say things like, my life is being poured out like an offering. Paul had a moment when he looks up to Jesus and he says, who are you, Lord? When he gets knocked off his feet on that way to Damascus. I think that's when Paul got saved, actually. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't confess all this. All he literally was like, literally what that means in in Greek is this. He literally says, who are you, master? Who are you? I am a mess. The end of Paul's life, Paul realized who his master was. All throughout his life, that moment he got knocked on his ground and he stood back up and he said, you are my master. Sometimes I look at my own life and I'm like, God, I I just want to live my life the best I possibly can. I want you to be the master of all of me. All of me? Yeah, all of me. Mostly. Come on. That's all Paul was saying. I want Jesus, I want you to be my master of all of me. My question for you is this. Is Jesus the master of all of you? Is he the master of you and your family, you and your finances? Is he the master of you and your workplace? Is he the master of you and your career path? Is he the master of you and your politic belief? See, I wonder sometimes if we forget when Paul was literally in that Mamertine prison, ankle deep in feces, and he writes to Timothy, hey, Timothy, when you come to Rome, will you bring me a cloak? Because I'm cold. There's times, sometimes when I read that, and my knees just buckle. I'm like, how could somebody the only way somebody could get to the point where they would say, listen, my life is being poured out. Look what it says in the very last, in in 2 Timothy, this is the last book he wrote. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I am about to die, talking to Timothy. He says, my life is on my life, an offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believing all the way. All that's left now is the shouting. God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right, not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. I tell you that because I think at some point, every one of us has to come to that yielded place. Every one of us has to come to that place where we say, God, not I, but Christ. You might be on your way to a Damascus to drive home something you are so believing in. I'm here to tell you today, God might have brought you here for just such a time as this. And say, will you let me be the master? Will you let me be your Lord? Will you let me be the shot caller in your life? in your marriage, in your rightness, your self-rightness. Yeah, but Lance, you don't understand what I've gone through. You're right. The Bible says every heart knows its own pain. I don't know what you've gone through, but I do know who does. And your pain is real. 
There's nothing I want to say about that except that it's real and it hurts. But the Bible says, come unto me, all you who are weary, incarry heavy ladens, and I'll give you rest. Cast your care upon me because I care for you. I want to pray for you this morning. I think God brought you here this morning on purpose. He's, he's having you watch online on purpose because he wants to reach to the bottom of your heart. He wants to get us to that place where we'll say, Jesus, I'll trust you with everything. So let's pray. Father, this morning, we just come and say help. So much of our life is filled with how we do what we do. So many of us have decided that we were so right that our willingness is just off the table. God, I pray tonight, or to this morning, that we would just say to ourselves, Jesus, you're right. I'll trust your rightness. I don't feel like I'm wrong. I feel like I'm right. Lord, I, I just pray that we would lay that up on that altar and say, Jesus, you decide. You decide. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You never said, Jesus, I've given you me. I, this morning, I just want to challenge you to say, Jesus, I give you me. I give you all of my guilt and shame and hurt and pain. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Save me this morning, Jesus. God, we need you a bunch as we learn to arise to what you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. Good stuff. It's good. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a hard, a hard left here real quick. And I, wanna, I asked a handful of you and I had some of my friends do some hunting online. And they came up. This Tuesday's Valentine's Day. And I want you to go be nice to your spouse. So some of our hunting, we came up with a few pictures and a lovely song. Uh, I have to head out and go to Fox Island campus right now. So I'll leave you with this video that I want you to see. And then you can stand up and greet each other afterwards. But God bless you. Go ahead, guys.